and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with that ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers to people that just have an intense passion for marine life. My name is Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast is Steve Cooter. And he's going to be helping us learn all about the tasseled anglerfish. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me. No worries, man. So normally what I like being asking people on this show is, why this animal? And I guess the change for this one is that I was like, Steve, come on the show. And you're like, yeah, sure. What should I talk about? And I was like, the tasseled angler. I want to know all about the tasseled anglerfish. So instead of asking you to kind of pick one, I was kind of like forcing my favorite creature upon you. Yeah, I didn't get so, a say in this one, did I? <laughs> what is a tasseled angler and why are they awesome? So tasseled angler fish are sort of the where's wally of the sea. They're, I think everyone in Port Phillip Bay, uh, it's on their bucket list, not only to see one, but to find one for themselves because they are incredibly camouflaged. They are the perfect design for, for camouflage. So a tasseled angler fish is... Uh, if you're in America, you probably know them as frog fishes. In Australia, we all call them angler fishes. We do have frog fishes and hand fishes, but yeah, the Americans would refer to an angler fish as the deep sea one, like in uh, like Finding Nemo with the little light bulb. Yeah, the scary uh, one with the massive teeth. The big it, so. scary one. Yeah, yeah. So that's that gives most people the idea of what a an angler fish looks like. Our ones are a lot sort of sweeter and a little bit more humble looking than those <laughs> big teeth creatures. We, our ones have little teeth, so they're, they're not made to be big, vicious hunters. They're sort of a little bit more adorable. They've got cute hands, like their, their little, uh, little pectoral fins are very similar to hands. They actually walk around on them and, and use them to grab onto things. Yeah, they're yeah, quite, if you quite ever, like, adorable. Yeah, they've got like four feet rather than fins. Yeah, just kind yeah of that's right. They've got the two main ones at the front and two little back ones. Um, yeah. They're very cute and, and they have a lot of character. They're what? So they're about the size of like a pumpkin or like a small pumpkin, I would say. Oh, yeah, the biggest one you're going to get, about the size of a shoe, their shoe size. The females are anyway. So the, the males are substantially smaller. They're about a third of the size. Pretty much all anglerfish and frogfishes and, and everything fall into that category. So the female is, is a lot larger and they're generally the ones that people spot the most just because of their physical size. Cool. So we've got the size of a shoe. Now... Mm go through like what an anglerfish is before we delve in the specifics of like the tasseled angler but an anglerfish is kind of like <clears throat> as you said finding nemo i often think they've got that kind of fishing rod that's tipped by a little worm called an esker and they're ambush predators so they kind of just they're all about the camouflage yeah that's right so the angler name comes from they've got a an elysium which is uh, the rod that holds the esker uh, for bait. And there's there's a lot of confusion about how that actually works. A lot of people sort of assume that the esker is to imitate a worm as bait. And in other countries, it is very much so. Tasseled anglerfish are a little bit different. It's more of a scent thing. At the moment, there's a theory about the esker releasing a scent or a pheromone to attract the bait. And that's what brings in their prey not the actual visualization of a worm. So when you see videos of them attacking a fish that's come in looking at the worm, uh, that's generally a different species, but the same sort of principle, it is to attract prey. 
And if you look at the really small ones, so when they're born, they're, they're sort of 10 millimeters long, very small. The esker and elysium actually looks like a skeleton shrimp, which draws in smaller prey to oh, feed wow. on the skeleton shrimp. And if you look at a really a small tasseled anglerfish, elysium looks like a skeleton shrimp, like it's a banger of an image like it really does so that's wow. it, it's almost you have to assume that that's how these things operate but uh, tasseled anglerfish don't really flap it around waiting for you know the prey to come in and see it they're usually hidden in dark crevices and there's no light if any um yeah. so it, it's more of a scent based ones than the tropical species that people might be familiar with okay wow so and for, for anyone who doesn't know the elysium and the esca the elysium is kind of like the rod where the anglerfish gets its name and then the esker is the kind of little worm isn't it the worm the bait it's the yes the rod and the carrot basically <laughs> which is awesome and i think like i was reading that the the rod is like one of the vertebrae isn't it kind of like comes off their back yeah it's the first spine off the dorsal fin so the spine that goes up the back of the fish that has slowly evolved and moved forward. On some of the species of anglers, you can actually see the second fin has moved closer down sort of towards their forehead. But the elysium, the one that they actually use to bait uh, the fish with is, is right down on the tip of their nose. And they've sort of got a big frowny mouth that's covered in all sort of camouflage growth. So I think even I was fooled at first. I thought maybe they grow the growth like a spider crab would wear coral or yeah. But it's actually, that's all fish. Like it's literally grown like that. It doesn't, doesn't grow on them. If you put them in a tank with no other weed in it, they would still look exactly the same and super camouflage. Yeah. And that, that camouflage. So that's like the tassels where the tasseled angler gets its name, but they're like, yeah, they kind of it almost describes like little tentacles and it's covered in them. And it, it looks like it's yeah covered in miniature corals and trees, but it's actually part of it. Yeah, and they can actually change colour quite dramatically due to their environment. Not sort of physically go, oh, I'm in, a, in orange sponges, I'll turn orange. They can't go to that degree. But when they eat fish and shrimp and things that feed on those corals and sponges around them, they absorb that colour and slightly tint towards their surroundings. So they do adapt slightly. The males can change dramatically during breeding season. Even I was quite shocked to see my first male angler turn like a real aqua cyan blue. Like it looked fantastic. It, it, it almost looked like it's, it, it just gave up on camouflaging itself. Wow. So they're normally like a red brown, but at mating time, the males are just like, yeah, showing off their vibrant blue. Yeah, 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 getting their peacock tail out and, and really putting on a show. So that's part of their presentation to impress the female. They compete. So the female will release something in the water, like a pheromone or scent to attract the males. And the males will gather around the female and try and put on a show, basically trying to be the best male in the area so it's sometimes you'll get up to five males around one female in the one location in one crevice or crack and they do hide in these cracks to sort of really accentuate their, their camouflage so that they sort of duck right in and you're sort of looking at just a ball of weed it doesn't really look like anything do the males compete with each other or do you know if they're like kind of tussle or they just kind of wait and try and be as blue as possible they do to a degree. So the, the bluer males sort of get preference on the distance to the female. She will sort of push them away, but it's also sort of when it comes to laying the eggs and fertilizing the egg, the female will attach them to the sponge and coral around her or just sort of behind her a little bit. And then when they're out, the male will release the sperm into the water 
and that will get flushed across the eggs. And it's presumed that it's not just the sperm from one male, but possibly multiple males. But obviously the one that's in front of her is the one that's, that she's going to flush to the water and sperm all through the eggs and fertilize those. It wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing if there was multiple males there just to have an increased gene pool, you know, to, keep, to yeah. ha- make sure the healthier ones are the ones that sort of get fertilized and make it back to the ocean. She kind of controls that flow over her eggs. So she picks yeah, them she out. Yeah, she definitely does. Wants. And oh, then straight wow. after, she kicks them all out. All of them. That's it. Cut the ties. They've done their job. She will Do they not want run them off anywhere or she near chases her. them? Or? She chases them off. Yeah, she's quite aggressive. Wow, that'd be quite the sight. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time looking for these amazing animals, and I've never seen anything like what you've described. Yeah, well, I haven't personally seen that in the wild. When I was a kid, my dad actually had one female and three males in a tank when they were observing them. So he was working for the museum when they were doing this at the time. And they obviously learned a lot just to sit there and observe these creatures. That's just unbelievable. Like turns blue. And so the males are how much smaller than the female would you say they are? About tennis ball size. So they're they're quite a lot smaller, tennis ball versus a shoe. They are a little bit harder to find. In the end, you see more males because a female will bring them all in. All of a sudden they start (laughs) showing up around. You're like, oh, there's another one, another one. Yeah, what time of year is it now? She will lay the eggs in October and she will start attracting males for up to a month before the eggs are laid. I think she lays about 5,000 eggs in one clutch. So it's quite a large amount of eggs and that probably the main reason for a physical size is just to bear that many eggs because they're about five millimetres long each egg. So that's that's quite a lot of eggs in the end. Yeah. And uh, they'll they'll sort of look after that for about a month. So they actually stay and they, they take care of them? They do. So Australian uh, anglers and tasseled anglerfish, they'll stay and look after the eggs and then the eggs will hatch and sort of fall to the bottom and the juveniles will sort of spread out into the seabed, whereas pretty much all the anglers around the rest of the world, they're pelagic. So they'll make a clutch of eggs that'll float on the surface of the ocean and they'll cling to them. And that's actually why they're known as frogfish, not because they sort of look like frog as well. But the, uh, if you've ever seen an, a frog with eggs, there's sort of a big clutch of eggs just floating on the surface with the frog sort of attached to the side. And that's where they get their name. Wow. I've actually, like as much as I love frogfish, I guess I've always thought of them as anglerfish being Australian. And I've, never, I've always wondered where the frogfish name came from. That's amazing. There you go. Well, that, that's uh, pretty much the main difference between uh, our angler and frogfish, our temperate ones, as opposed to the tropical ones, is ours will stay with the eggs and protect them until they hatch. Whereas, well, I suppose uh, the pelagic ones do as well, but ours don't float around the ocean. Ours are very localised, all the way from sort of New South Wales to WA, all along the south coast, including Tasmania. Do you know how far the tasseled angler goes? I've only seen them in Port Phillip Bay, Australia, but they get a melt. Yeah, no, pretty much the entire southern coast of Australia has them to some degree. We seem to attract a lot more, I think, just because of the the weed type and, and the fauna in, in our bay is very similar to the look of the anglerfish. So they're less likely to be eaten, I guess. They've got a better chance of surviving if nothing can see them, including divers. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a that's a valid point. And so one other thing we have to talk about is how they eat. They ha- we spoke about they've got the esker, the lua, they kind of wiggle around. And mm. like, but they'll catch some seriously crazy prey, won't they? Yeah, they'll take out some big things. Pretty much anything that will fit in their mouth. And if you've seen one with their mouth open, it's huge. About three times the size of their grin. Like it sort of folds apart. Same as a snake jaw. It almost looks like it unlocks. They will launch into some big fish, especially if they're hungry. Yeah, they're like a snake, as you said. Their jaw kind of like comes apart, I think. And I've heard that they don't have teeth as well. No, they have small teeth, quite finite little little sort of sandpapery sort of teeth, like nothing that's going to saw you apart or take a finger off or anything like that, but it's definitely enough to grab onto an animal and not let them out. The attack itself, it's in a flash. If you manage to get a shot of it taking prey, it's a one in a thousand shot. It's so fast. Definitely if you blink, you miss it, but on the high-speed cameras, like it looks absolutely fantastic and they'll almost settle back down exactly where they launched from. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to think that there's a fish sitting down there with its own little fishing rod and lure. And just like, mm. and as you said earlier, like using, you think now they're using a bit of chemical as well, which would make sense. Kind of fish comes along, has a bit mm. of a smell and then sees this wiggly worm and bang, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they're a pretty uh, amazing creature. When you actually see them attack a fish, like takes something out of the water column, it's so fast and, and coming from such a sort of almost slow looking animal. They don't, they don't look like they could move that fast. Like they, you think you could just sort of go up to one and just pick it up and it wouldn't really do anything like a jellyfish. And then when you see it just lunge at this animal and take it out, it'll be nearly the same size as the anglerfish. It's just incredible to see, but uh, it's rare. So when you had them in the tank, did you feed, like, mm. fed them live animals or like, did you get to see it? Well, the females don't eat a lot when they're looking after eggs. So we did feed them small dead fish freshly like caught fish and and they would eat them and stuff like that but we never really tried to bait them to do the lunge or anything like that sort of just put it in front of it and let him and let him eat them didn't really want to stir you know we when it's a for a photography and scientific purpose you don't really want them stirring up the water and and carrying on and and making a bit of a scene so they would sort of just be fed as soon as the eggs were laid and fertilized the males were released back to where they were caught literally the exact same location when the juveniles hatched from the eggs the majority of them were released uh, it was probably a week or two after they initially hatched just to give them a, a better chance of survival like i think probably 90 percent of them get knocked off in the first week just because they've sort of they'll either have the embryo still attached or they sort of don't exactly they, they might be drifting along open in the water column or something and just snap them up and then i think out of the five thousand, there was a hundred left just to study in the tank and then they were all released back at the same site with the female after that that was pretty much everything we could sort of learn about them and that's all we needed them for and and they all went back happy and and healthy and i'm sure the relatives of those fish are are still swimming around now that's so cool like to think yeah they're in the tank like when they're i'm still just fixated on this eating thing so like normally they do the (laughs) lunch thing but when you fed them like a dead fish, would they just kind of like hop up to it and kind of have a nibble and a chew or were they like, they sort of No, they just open the mouth and just make a vacuum. They sort of just like just suck it in and then it's gone and that's it. It's such a flash. Like it's just snappy fingers and the fish is gone. 
Wow. I always I always swim with them and I'm always like, I wonder how long I'd have to sit here and wait for one to take a bit of food. But I reckon it would you'd have to be there for like a week almost. To get it naturally, yes, definitely. If you were waiting for uh, another fish to show up and sat there, you know, in the in the drift with the current going past, waiting for one, you know, unsuspecting victim to cross its path, it'd take a while. It's the same with all those ambush predators. They don't, like, if you get a stargazer, it's the same thing. Like, how often do you see a stargazer take out a, a victim? But they're such a slow-moving animal. They don't have a real fast metabolism. They don't have to eat every single day. If something happens to come past, they'll eat it. But they, they don't actively go out and hunt and burn energy. Yeah, and so do they move around a lot? Because I know I've seen a few at a spot we, we both visit frequently. You know, I'll go out there and I'll find two in one spot. And the next day I'll find two in a different spot. And then the third day, I'll find the original two in the same spot. And I'm like, are they, are they moving around or are they actually just sitting there for a week? Or do you, do you know how that works? They do move around 100%. So I've witnessed the same thing. I haven't spent a whole night with them and watched them. I'd, I'd actually love to do it. Maybe set up some infrared cameras and, and watch what their behavior is over a 24-hour period. But they definitely move around in the same location when they've sort of found something camouflaged and comfortable. They'll move around, but when, when food becomes scarce, they will completely abandon the site, sort of travel with the current or the tide and move to a totally different location. They don't really mind doing that at all. Um, so they will get around a fair bit. And so if you're a scuba diver and you want to go see a tasseled anglerfish, or you've come down to like Melbourne, Victoria, where we see a lot of them. Like, what are your kind of tips or what are your hints without giving away too many secrets? No, I don't want to give any, any of my secret locations away. But I mean, literally anywhere you go in Port Phillip Bay, you, you can find them. I've found some in, in really unexpected places. But generally, they'll find some structure or some coral, especially overhangs or caves. They love sort of hanging upside down and clinging to things, I think, because that's sort of the least expected place for a fish to look for a predator <laughs> or something hidden in a crack above them. You know, it's like a, you know, a ninja waiting to jump off the top of the doorway or something like that. Yeah, um, I guess too, you're like fish, like if you see them out, they're kind of like sometimes, they, you know, try and escape into a dark crevice or a dark crack and because it's a good place yeah. to wait. Yeah, that's right. So I think the first thing I see when I find an anglerfish is the eye. And I think that would be the case for a lot of photographers. I think whenever you photograph a fish, I mean, you, you're probably the same. Not 90% of the time, if, if the eye isn't in focus, you just chuck the photo. There's no point keeping it. So <laughs> whenever I'm photographing, I'm constantly looking at the eye and I've got my focus point right on the eye and I keep doing that. So I see like thousands and thousands of fish eyes. So sometimes I'll just be looking over the coral or the sponges, looking for something and an eye will just pop out at me. And I'm like, there's one right there. And then of course you'll see the, the Esca worm across the top and then you see the fins and things like that other times they'll sit right out on a bright fluorescent orange sponge looking not camouflaged at all <laughs> uh you know but some people are lucky enough to just see them swimming along in the water column you know as i said they do move around uh, especially at night time you wouldn't see them out during the day camouflage is their best friend so i, I know firsthand that the octopus and the the cuttlefish find them very tasty I've seen a lot of photos posted online of, of ones being consumed by our cephalopod friends. I, I, I'm just hoping that they weren't sort of flushed off the wall. You never know when a, a stray fin off a diver has hit a pylon and knocked one off or things like that. You do have to be careful in those areas. 
just especially because as I said, they do inhabit overhangs and a lot of divers, when they're under them, the air bubbles come up and they'll flush the fish off the wall and, and out into the open. And that can be quite dangerous for them as well. So you don't yeah. want to inadvertently put one in danger, definitely. Especially during breeding season. They can't really move when they've got the eggs. They can't take them with them. Ah, oh, that's a good point, actually. And speaking of cuttlefish and cephalopods, I actually was photographing a tasseled angler a little while back. And I thought it was quite interesting because that tasseled angler, it was well hidden, but it wasn't there the next day. And I wonder if it's because, now you've said it, as I was taking photos of it, I look up and I see right next to my face, a giant cuttlefish just like kind of <laughs> looking at me and then looking at where my camera was and almost I reckon at what I was taking a photo of and it waited for about five minutes and then it went off and I can't help but wonder if maybe it was like aha thanks for the advice yeah yeah it, when you're finished with that do you mind if I eat it <laughs> yeah I reckon it's exactly what it was kind of thinking now that you said that and now that they're I know pretty they're clever so, yeah, no, the cuttlefish and Ockies will watch what you're doing just in case it can benefit them somehow. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that one probably made someone very happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I guess that's the food web, isn't it? That is. So, so we spoke about how you spot one. Now, are there any like kind of photographic tips you would have? Photographing them is probably one of the hardest things you can do. As I said, when they're in crevices or corners, it's often hard to get a camera in there and especially keeping your head away from the overhang and getting those bubbles in there. You don't want to do that. So generally photographing one is more of luck and opportunity. When you see one on the ground rather than above you, then you've got a much better chance of photographing one or getting a nice shot. There's sort of two main ways you can photograph them. You can sort of photograph them in their element with that camouflage and really capture that effect and sort of almost put up a, a where's Wally of can you actually see the fish? Like this is how well adapted they are to their environment like this is how camouflage they are or you can sort of isolate them from the camouflage maybe using snoot techniques or you know low depth of field to have them sharp and softer background so that they can jump out a bit more and you can actually see the animal that's probably the two best ways to photograph one other than that you've got to be lucky with a, a shot of uh, them either attacking something or you know, doing something behavioral. They, they don't really move around much. Yeah, I guess it's like a few sea creatures. Like I often say it for like seahorses and stuff. Like you find one and if it doesn't want to look at you or it keeps shying away or it's in the wrong position, you just have to admire it. Feel like, oh, that's so cool. I saw one and move on. It's not worth like disturbing yeah. Once you've seen one, it's one of those things you can get your eye into as well. Once you've tuned your eye to it and you've seen one before, you know what to look for you will start seeing more of them around. I think finding your first one is, is the hardest thing. Actually, the, the first time I found one, I was diving. Uh, my dive mate, Yane, he was in the car park with me and he said, have you ever seen one of these tasseled anglerfish? I said, I've never seen one in the wild. I used to have them in the tank a long time ago. And he goes, oh, I'd love to see one. I said, well, let's go out and look for one. And he goes, all right, what's your tip? And I said, all right, here's my tip. If you can find the smallest possible anglerfish, the smaller the anglerfish that we find, the easier it'll be to find a bigger one. So we went out to a relatively known location. Like we knew there was anglerfish around. So we thought, oh, we'll just go there and see what we can find. And after about 20 minutes of looking, I found tasseled anglerfish that was maybe 12 millimeters long. Uh, 
still camouflage, hundred percent camouflage. Took me a sec to sort of figure out if it was actually a fish or a clump of weed. And I called him over and I said, Oh, there's one here. And he didn't see it at first after I sort of took some shots and showed him on the back of the camera. He's like, Oh yeah, we, we got that. That is literally the only one that size I've ever found. So that was terrible advice. Don't go looking for the smallest one. Find a big one first. <laughs> Find a big one. Figure out what they look for, look like, and then and then you can get your eye in and, and find them that way. But yeah, that was absolute fluke. First one I ever saw in the wild was about twelve millimeters long, and it's never happened again since. Yeah, I've I've only ever seen like as you said the shoe sized ones. So wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it just just made me think earlier. You said the eyes. One thing I look for too is the feet or like the fins. You yeah, just see the hands. Like, yeah, this weird kind of hand thing, and then you go ah. So yeah. eyes and hands. I, I think everyone sort of looks for them in their own different way. Like I, sometimes I'll just see a sort of uninterrupted clump of weed and go, there's not enough things crawling around on it or there's <laughs> not, there's no, you know, it's, it's too perfect a clump of weed and sure enough, it'll be an anglerfish. And uh, yeah, it'll just, it'll jump out. So what definitely once you've seen your first one after that, they become, a bit of fun. I don't think anyone ever gets sick of finding an anglerfish. I think every time you find one, it's like, yes. And the more you find, the better. I always yeah. rub it in people's faces when I have a good night and find like five or something crazy like that. <laughs> well, five of it. I think the max I've seen in one go is three. And that's, that was mind blowing. So five would be insane. Yeah. D- during breeding season, they will present themselves a bit more in the shallow water you'll find them on structures a lot more other than that they might just be hiding in rocks for the rest of the year i'm sure more anglerfish have seen divers and divers have seen anglerfish i think a lot of them have just been swum over and no one's known they were there i'm sure of it (laughs) oh cool well that kind of brings us to the end of our tasseled angler episode Thanks heaps, Steve, for being on and if we want to see photos of tasseled anglers or other photos of yours where should we go? You can check out some of, I've got a lot of anglerfish photos and videos on my Instagram account. That's Stephen Cooter. Um, Cooter is K-U-I-T-E-R, but it's probably in the description anyway. And I've got a book, Coastal Sea Fishes of Southeastern Australia. New version of my dad's old book, Coastal Sea Fishes of Southeastern Australia. It's more of a handheld book and we're doing a, another revised version of it. So we've sold out the first copies. And we're working on the second version at the moment. So that'll be out hopefully by the end of the year. Awesome. Well, I know I have the, a book you said that it's the new version of. So I'm definitely going to have to get the new, new <laughs> version. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see more of my photography on Instagram, Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography, and my webpage, mtunderwatermedia.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and visit our Patreon account patreon.com slash podcast. A big thanks to our first two Patreons, Josie Jones and Samantha Ray for supporting the podcast and helping us stay on air. Production assistance by George McGrath and music by Dan Musil and his magnificent slide guitar. Tune in next time to hear all about hammerhead sharks with marine biologist Shannon Hurley. This has been Sea Creatures Podcast. Over and out.